that night I am. Matt Laswitz, and welcome to this week's episode of Bat Chat with Matt and Will, a Batman writing podcast. Where each week, my co-host Will Nevin and I dig into three Batman stories, discuss them, and rank them on our big board. That's creating a giant list of Batman stories from best to worst. Will, what's going on? Matt, I have a very important question for you. What's your favorite soda? Now, I have, generally speaking, given up on sodas. For those of you, I don't know how much I've talked about this on here. Back a year and change ago, last March, after a year or so of pandemic time, I stepped on the scale for the first time in a while, and I weighed far more than I ever had. And so I started building up to it, but I started out walking two miles a day, then three, and then up to five. I also started counting all my calories, and I cut soda out of my diet. At one point, I had actually lost too much weight, which I know is, you know, first world problems, absolutely. But right now, I just got back from vacation, so I put a little bit of that on, but I'm, I'm about right around where I want to be, which is good. That's all to say that it's been a long time since I've had a soda. But this might be pushing the definition of soda a little. Ginger ale, does that count? Uh, that's definitely a soda. Canada dry ginger ale. It's, it's such a basic, you know, ginger ale, but that is what my mom used to give me when I was a little kid and I wasn't feeling well. So there's always that sort of warm, oh, I'm having a Canada dry ginger ale. And it's, it's like I'm, I'm curled up in, you know, bed with, you know, a tummy ache when I'm a kid and now I'm feeling better kind of vibe to it. So, so I'm going to spoil a surprise for for the listeners we're going to be taking a trip here soon and i really wish that uh we were driving because i could bring you a regional delicacy buffalo rock ginger ale a a company based here in alabama limited distribution probably not anywhere outside of the south it is the spiciest fucking ginger ale Ooh. you could ever put in your mouth. It will fucking clean your sinuses out. Shit burns. Uh, burns so good. I do like an intense ginger ale as well. Like I will get, you know, the Canada Dry is soft, but it's, it's you know, it's homey. But I will get, you know, a ginger ale or a ginger beer that's like, bam. Oh, oh you haven't lived until you've had Buffalo Rock. I'm so sad now. Well, Someday, me and one partner or another are going to come down and we're going to visit, and I will have that. Ah, I'll have a whole case ready for you. Looking forward to it. What about you? So, so you, you know, you mentioned the pandemic. This takes me to the, the, the before times, long, long ago. I think the various aluminum shortages and or different marketing strategies have killed these, but they came out with this line of new Diet Cokes that were flavored. Like there was a, there was a citrus, there was a lime, there was a lemon, and there was a feisty cherry Diet Coke. It was the regular cherry with just a, a pinch of kick. And it was perfect. I loved it. You can't get it no more. You know, have you ever seen those? They have them at movie theaters. These like 
machines where you can like mix all these possible soda combinations oh oh yeah 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 the freestyle and let yes. me tell you there the, the the secret there is the fanta and look i like you i i have i've had weight uh, concerns over the years and so i i this is all zero calorie stuff for me fanta zero peach top it off with some fruit punch Ooh, that that's my freestyle choice I, I might have to try that. I'm going to the movies on Friday. I might have to try that out. Ah, uh, a, a good movie theater is is one with the freestyle machine. I yeah. absolutely appreciate that. Oh yeah, my my home theater in Cherry Hill, New Jersey, they they've got those. You know, talking about my five mile walk, two and a half miles to the movie theater, sit, watch a movie, two and a half miles back home, getting your entire walk and a movie in the middle. That's a good damn day, Matt. It really is. But Friday, I'm going to see DC's League of Super Pets because it's crazy DC animated movie. Do you know who's voicing Batman in League of Super Pets? Uh, that would be Keanu Reeves, is it not? Indeed it is. I gotta hear Keanu Reeves as Batman. Wild uh, stuff. Now see, just, just to finish this, uh, this exercise movie exercise thought, I envy you because... You know, it's uh, it's July as we're recording this, and I live here in Alabama. It's 10 million degrees outside, and I would I would run that two miles, and I would be covered in sweat, and I feel terrible for being in public around other people while covered in sweat. So uh, I wouldn't quite have the nerve to go see a movie, but it would be perfect. That is is more of a three other seasons type of thing. Like, yeah, during the summer, it's like no, no. I'll drive, I'll see the movie, I'll walk around a little like around the movie theater to get in like one of my five miles. Like I've still got about a mile to do once we're done recording, but Ooh, eh. late a late night walk. Yeah, it'll be it'll be cool. My neighborhood is there's sidewalks everywhere and I have a reflective vest. But we have an episode. Uh, so this week we honor the memory of two legendary bat creators, Alan Grant, who passed away this past week and his regular collaborator, Norm Brayfogle, who passed a few years ago. We've covered a couple of Grant and Brayfogle stories before. Uh, Clash of Symbols, a Joker one-off. We've covered other Brayfogle with Birth of the Demon and the first parts of Nightfall, and we've covered other Grant with uh, the Misfits in the Tim Sale episode that just dropped last week as we're recording this, and Judgment on Gotham. These are two creators who had a major influence on the Bat books in the 90s. They were the co-creators of the Ventriloquist and Scarface, Ratcatcher, Anarchy, Zaz, Amygdala, Jeremiah Arkham, a bunch of these characters that we'll be talking about tonight, plus less well-regarded or well-known characters like Cadaver and the Corrosive Man and... There are more that are not coming to mind off the top of my head. And it's amazing to see this team on three different books. Yeah. I could have probably selected three stronger stories in general, but I wanted to hit each of the books that they were regular creators on. It's not like one of these books was, you know, a fill-in or anything. They were the regular creative team on Detective and on Batman and then spun off into Shadow of the Bat, which was Grant's book. Grant wrote 
the entire run of Shadow of the Bat up until No Man's Land when it became the rotating creators for that one year. And Bray Fogel only did the first arc and a one-off a little bit later on, but he was there to start that book. They were a team when it came to Batman and often with uh, similar inkers. We see most of these books are inked by Steve Mitchell or by Bray Fogel himself. That period of Bat books in the 90s was a very consistent time. You had Grant on Shadow, Dixon on Detective, and Doug Mensch on Batman from shortly before Nightfall all the way through No Man's Land. So that was six years, six to seven years of the same creative team, same writers, and not a ton of artists. Each of those books had maybe three regular artists, three or four over the, the period of time. And, and, and just and just think about that in in sort of what we have today. Like how, how long have we been doing the print column? Uh, since December 2019. Batman 100 was the first one we did. So, so that would be what? That would be King. Right, uh, Batman One Hundred was tiny, and that was the end of Joker War. Ah, so we just, so we didn't. We came very at the very end of King. Uh, well, after the end of King. So let's see, Tinian, uh, Williamson, o- October of twenty twenty. That was Batman One Hundred. Uh, so let's see, Tinian, Williamson, and Zdarsky are real yeah. really only on three Batman writers. Yeah. Batman hangs on to writers a lot because people, you know, if you get that, that's a, in the immortal words of Krusty the Clown, that's the sweetest plum. You don't see six year runs regularly anymore. Even then, I mean, think about that. I mean, Tinian had been on for two or three months before that. So he was on for a year and change. And I mean, Tom King did 80 issues. That's a huge run nowadays. And that, but you got to remember, that was also uh, bi-weekly. These guys did that many issues monthly. Uh, and, and none of these artists are consistent. No. Grant's, Grant's run on Shadow of the Bat was... Brave Vogel did one arc. Then there was a few just fill-in artists for the next six or eight months. We had the three issues by Tim Sale. And we had a couple of one-offs. Ray Fogel did issue 13, but then Brett Blevins was on for quite a while. Then Barry Kitson, and then Mark Buckingham wrapped it up. Again, that's four artists over the course of 60-something issues. They each did pretty much at least, I I think Buckingham only did a few issues towards the end, and Taylor didn't do too many. But it was, you you got artists who would do 20, 30 issues in a row with maybe one fill-in in there. Don't make books like they used to. Nope. I mean, look, Kelly Jones did Batman 515 through 552. And again, one or two fill-ins in there for nearly 40 issues. Yeah. But, but let's get to the stories that we are here to discuss for the evening. Our first story is... Oh, sorry. Uh, before we get to the first story, I forgot one other. Uh, Cornelius Sturk, villain we talked about on the... Patreon only when, in regards to Batman Unburied, was another Grant and Bray Fogel creation. But now, the first story of the night. 
Anarchy in Gotham City. This is Detective Comics Volume 1, numbers 608 to 609. Writer is Alan Grant, pencils by Norm Brayfogle, inks by Steve Mitchell, colors by Adrian Roy, letters by Todd Klein, edited by Denny O'Neill and Dan Raspler. The cover dates are November to December of 1989. A new vigilante is stalking the streets of Gotham. Anarchy is doing what he says is the will of the people, and his vengeance is treading close to the line. Who is Anarchy, and what will happen when Batman meets his new competition? So we're kind of in the heart of the Grant Brayfogle run on Detective. They would be on here for another year, just about a year, and had been on here since the 580s, I believe. This, obviously from that description, is the introduction of Anarchy, who was one of these principal creations and was a character that Grant and Brayfogle would come back to over and over again. Uh, they did both a four-issue miniseries and then a short-lived ongoing, uh, ran only, I think, eight issues that, was an, that were Anarchy series. So this was a character who was very much in line with what they at least what Grant specifically believed. Grant was politically far left, which is fascinating when you think that the guy who created Anarchy was in the same writer's room regularly with Chuck Dixon. So I'm sure they got along really well. Yeah, People have said it, and it's one of these things where I don't know if I could find a source for it, but Denny O'Neill was the kind of guy who just got his writers to just do the work. He made Dixon's stuff not too far right or Grant's stuff not too far left. He just sort of got got the work. And, you know, another uh, there's another creator who it's just like, oh, oh, Denny. Another one who is missed. Other than him getting offed during Fear State, were you familiar with Anarchy? Not in the least. And I don't even remember him dying in Fear State. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's about to, that's going to be the plot in the next arc of I Am Batman. It has something to do with who killed Anarchy. Did you see the twist coming? In hindsight, I should have. I Look, I, n- I never see things coming. I'm, I'm, I'm not a smart boy. You know, it's weird to feature so much of the kid when you think presumably that the kid is not really involved in the story. But no, I did not see it. Well, fun fact, Grant introduced Lonnie Mackin, Anarchy, as a potential Robin replacement. Weird. Yeah, when, because this would have been right around shortly after Death in the Family before Lonely Place of Dying. So there was clearly buzz in the air that they wanted another Robin. And Grant created Anarchy to be, uh, or the kid to possibly be Robin. Interestingly enough, he kind of becomes one of Tim Drake's arch nemeses. Crafty Robin would have been an interesting way to uh, to go about things. Yeah, and a Robin who would have been butting heads with Batman in a different way than Jason Todd would did. He would have been disagreeing with Bruce in a reasoned philosophical way versus a you're not my dad sort of way that Jason often was portrayed. Oh, and he would have hated Bruce Wayne. Oh, yeah. Would not have been a fan. So, yeah, Hmm. this is this, you know, so I guess we haven't 
made it clear anarchy, which is kind of giving away the twist at the end of the story, but anarchy is a 13 year old kid wearing a suit to make himself look like a grown up who is espousing the will of the people. He's reading letters to the editor and then going out and doing to the people that the editorial writers are angry at what he views that they deserve, which does not put him that far out of line with Batman, except for the fact that the things he's doing are a bordering on lethal at times and B are more expressly illegal. He's going after legitimate quote unquote businesses and such that are morally reprehensible, but legally are within their rights, at least in a couple of these cases. So it puts him up against Batman as defender of the status quo. And also Batman's kind of a crotchety bastard in this. Like I think he's, Oh, he's very grumpy. Yeah. He's crotchetier than like crotchety old Bruce Wayne from Batman beyond in places when he has to go into the, the heavy, heavy club, the heavy metal club, like he's putting in earplugs and it's, he's just short of going, you know, these kids and their rock music. Uh, Well, Hey, this is not just rock. This is punk. True. But we get this whole story where Batman is investigating anarchy and it in a few times is at least before anarchy nearly kills a guy is sort of thinking that maybe this isn't the worst thing in the world he's not anti-anarchy until anarchy nearly kills a corrupt businessman he didn't even really hold it against anarchy when he repeatedly zapped the punk musician who was also dealing what i assume was heroin uh yes it was well was it heroin i can't remember they Um, said it what was Johnny Vomit dealing? Oh, Johnny Vomit. Whatever it was, it was hard stuff. It's not like he was, you know, dealing some weed out of the back of his van. He was sneaking stuff into the country in his guitar case. Yeah, it, it was heroin. But at the beginning, I think we're selling speed. Right. Yeah, the dealers outside the club are dealing speed. And so Batman is involved in this. And also there was this letter to the editor. So Anarchy is, you know, responding to the, basically a noise complaint and runs afoul of this guy who's dealing smack. Uh, A noise complaint written by an old lady, Dave Stang, who (laughs) says she wants to have a tough name. And I'm, I'm thinking in my heart of hearts, that's some kind of nod to Dick Sprang. Those names can't be that similar. You know, that's a good call. But we watch Anarchy, you know, he does this and Bruce is okay. But then he basically goes into the office of a a CEO whose company is polluting. He's taken some of the contaminated water and he dunks the guy's head in the contaminated water repeatedly, which nearly kills the the guy, which there's where you start running into trouble because, you know, you know the rule. No killing. No killing. And you can occasionally uh, use people for human shields. You can occasionally not go out of your way to save people, but you can't kill them yourself. We then see him getting involved with a bank that is being put up in an abandoned lot that had been used as a 
cardboard city for Gotham's houseless, including Legs, who is a recurring character in Grant's Batman. Oh, uh, Identity Crisis, the first Tim Drake in the Robin costume, is also uh, Grant and Bray Fogel. And that's where we, we've already seen Legs in that story. And Legs shows up a lot over the course I, of Grant's work. I got to ask you this. Uh, wh- what year did Legs make his first appearance? Uh, Legs was introduced at the very beginning of the run, of the, the detective run. So probably 86, 87, somewhere around there. Okay. I'm I'm going to have to file a claim of gimmick infringement against uh, Grant here. Legs is totally, totally, totally Eddie Murphy's con from Trading Places. 1,000%. Uh, I, I hadn't thought of that. Uh, 88. He was, I just looked it up. He was introduced in uh, cover date 88. And Trading uh, Places comes out in 83. C- come on. The, the, the wagon is the same. The hustle is the same. Uh, they're both obviously black characters. Uh, you, you can't tell me Legs is not drawn from Trading Places. I hadn't thought of it, but that's, yeah, I can see where you're coming. I can absolutely see where you're coming from on that one. I guess we don't see legs again in this. Oh, yeah, we do. We do see legs again tonight, don't we? He shows up again yep. in the second story. He's a, a recurring character and often is seen with anarchy. He'll show up again in the anarchy series as well. He He's sort of the lead voice amongst Gotham's houseless groups. One thing that you do that I did see here and boy, howdy was Jim Gordon drawn older at this period. Oh yeah. And it's not this story, but he spends another one just in the hospital for all of it. That was, I was a big arc at the time. Jim had a heart attack and like he had his first date after years with Sarah Essen, you know, she gives him a kiss. He's and then he clutches his chest and he just collapses in the street. And so after Sarah had gone inside, so the issue ends with a splash of just the street and Jim laying face down in the street. You didn't know if Gordon was still alive after that. Ah, call one triple eight seven nine seven if you want to save Jim Gordon. You know, I wouldn't have put it past them at the time. He starts looking a little bit younger, probably around nightfall i mean he he he's still an older guy but he's not quite as dumpy because they, they hope make a whole thing about him you know he quit, gives up smoking and he starts working out a little more and you also got to think he wasn't quite that old i think that job probably aged him a little because when you think about how he looked in year one this is what 10 years later he's gone from 40 to 75 and then by the time you get to uh, super heavy, he's like 45 again. Yep. 45 and ripped. Oh, yeah. So what did you think of Anarchy as a villain or an antagonist? Um, I thought it was uh, it was fairly creative, right? Big uh, going against the one percenters vibe. Like I said, I did not see the twist at the end where it turns out he's uh, he's a kid. But I... I didn't think it was the worst villain, right? I'd want I'd want a bit more backstory as to why this kid uh, became so obsessed with reading the letters column and wanting to do something about it. But 
not terrible. Yeah, and you know where his his anarchist philosophy came from, but it's hard to have done that without completely giving away that it was him. Yeah. He'll show up next in a story called Rite of Passage where he's not he's just Lonnie Mackin in that story. He's not anarchy. Uh, but that's the story where he and Tim Drake start butting heads because Bruce is off on an international case and someone is hacking and robbing companies under the hacker handle of Money Spider. And Tim, you know, does the whole computer thing. And that's how he and Lonnie run up against each other for the first time. Another Grant and Brayfogle story. But it's so we don't see him. He becomes we see him in costume again sometime after that. He again, as I said, runs afoul of Tim Drake a whole bunch. Which money spider. There's a couple of great panels in this. There's one point where Batman is fighting the, the houseless as anarchy has let them into the construction site where this bank is going up and they're just wreaking havoc. And Batman is fighting with anarchy and legs comes down the the slope and lands on top of Batman and the put upon look on Batman's face. He's not even angry. He's just like, really, this is my life. I was fighting the Joker last week. And now this. And look, I can't, I can't beat up legs, right? I'm I'm not going to look good in that fight. Nope. And it's a great creepy image when Batman's fighting anarchy and he pulls off the mask and it's like the question face under there. It's clear or clean because Lonnie probably has some other way of seeing out of the costume and it's a false head to make him look taller. Yeah. When you remove that layer and you get to like him basically being in a cage, right? It's layers upon layers of, of good design here. Yeah. And Anarchy's a cool looking villain. The the bright red, the big floppy hat, the gold mask. It's a striking look. And, and this was before the uh, uh the uh oh shit. Uh not the anonymous mask, but the um the V for Vendetta, the yeah, Guy yeah, Fox yeah. mask. Yeah, yeah. It's before that's been done to death. Right. I mean uh, V for Vendetta does predate this, but it wasn't I don't know if V for Vendetta was even completed because more completed that years later might probably right around this time but yeah it wasn't a a a cultural thing now there's one one line and it's one of these lines where i'm not sure if it rings false or it was an intentional bit after anarchy has escaped batman from fighting the houseless Anarchy's running away and he thinks Batman's going to make it through those bums pretty fast. It's like, is he calling them bums? Is that just Grant using the slang? Or is that kind of indicating that as enlightened as Lonnie thinks he is, he's really a, just a suburban or upper middle class urban kid and isn't as great as he thinks he is? That might be me reading too much into it, but I like that reading. Yeah, I, I think it's a good one. And he is basically using uh, using them as cannon fodder. Right. And he's he doesn't seem to care particularly much about the common man. He just, He's like any other teenager who's, you know, 
read the communist manifesto and now thinks he's all that uh or he's like any other populist who just cares uh, about power and is ready to manipulate people yeah well eventually we'll get to the tiny and detective run where anarchy is in there running a community of houseless and disenfranchised people under gotham and you get all sorts of questions about how legitimate Lonnie's real concern for people is and how much is just him wanting to be smarter and better than everybody else. Is that what we all want, Matt? Yeah, but some of us are. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Nice. It's also fun after reading No Man's Land last week, seeing, you know, Anarchy spraying, painting his A symbol and everything is like, Oh, yeah, you weren't in the city for No Man's Land, but you would have fit right in, wouldn't you, Lonnie? Tagging everything. Uh, speaking of that, A, and this is this is a comment that can apply to all of tonight, but especially in, uh, in this first uh, detective story, uh, all of these layouts, top-notch. Yes. Fucking loved them. Oh, yeah. Bray Fogel, Bray Fogel was a master. He was a great artist. And his Batman is one of my definitive Batmans. I mean, when I started reading Batman, it was Bray Fogel and Jim Aparo, who were the two artists on the two main books at that point. They're iconic Batman artists. But the layouts do such a good job of creating movement, creating like energy, uh, just different layouts. And, and, and this is, you get lulled into such a pattern when, especially when you read one of the uh, digital first books like Injustice from uh, a couple of uh, shows ago, like it's so plain because that's the format in which it's distributed. But this, it's like something new and different and just fresh every page and none of it. And, you, you know, you mentioned uh, Tinian's uh, detective run. I despise those layouts because they're all so just busy and they all just clutter and cram and it's just it's like the art is doing violence to itself this is all in service of creating action and story and engaging the reader and they're just so fun to look at you get the and you you, you talked about the the a which is what made me think of it you know we get we get the a done in the gutters like it's just it's so fun to look at just perfect layouts love them love them to death there's gonna be Fun little note when we get to the third story tonight about uh, a printing error in those layouts that I will tell. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I will. Looking forward to it. Yep. But I think that's, th- I think we've covered this one. That means it's time to put anarchy in Gotham City on the big board. Okay. We are creeping up towards 150 stories on the big board. We are currently at 144. Number one is Batman Year One. Number 50 is Blood Secrets from Detective Comics Annual Number Two. Coming in at number 69, it's Legends of the Dark Knight, number 65 through 68. Going sane and nice. At number 75 is Robin Year One, the Robin Annual. Down at 100 is Her Sister's Keeper, Catwoman Volume 1, numbers 1 to 4. And all the way down at the bottom is White Knight. Uh... So this is a good story. 
This is a good story. All three, uh, I'll say it out of the gate. All three of tonight's stories are good stories. This is, this is not the bottom of our three. No, it's not, but it's not the top either. This is the middle. Yes, I think so. We'll get to, the, the next story is okay. But the last one is, is please tell me, I, that's, I love that story. That, that's, a, that's an old favorite of mine, but we'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. We'll get there. So we're introducing a Batman villain. I think we're right around the middle of the list on this one. Somewhere in the 60s, oh. 70s. Let's do let's do an opening bid okay. of 67. Huh. You know, I was looking right around there myself. Because the thing is, this story would have benefited from us understanding Lonnie's motivations more. But doing that would have ruined the twist. Yeah. So it's kind of, you're sacrificing some narrative stuff for a good twist. And with the, I knowing that Grant was planning on Lonnie becoming a new Robin, it's like, okay, he was setting this up so we'd have plenty of time later to do all of that. You might, you might be right there. That puts it below universe, which is big and fun. And above trust. Okay, the only thing that I will say that might mean trust is a little bit, might be a below trust. Trust is that uh, Zatanna Joker story from Dini. The Joker reveal there is better set up than the Lonnie reveal here. Mm, yes, but I'm not going to reward Paul Dini for writing Zatanna. I'm not going to indulge the man's fetish, Matt. But devil's advocate, everyone has a favorite character, and they're gonna. It's not like every story he wrote in Detective was the Tana story. He wrote that one, and then a couple of cameos. This was the one where they let him go to town. Look, everyone does have their favorite character, but with Paul Dini, come on, you have to admit it's something a bit more than having a favorite character. Yeah, th this isn't it's me finally getting my chance and making sure it's a Batman Tim Drake story. Uh, yeah, this is this is the man's compulsion. I would say definitively, I think this is lower than Fear of Faith. Uh, just yes. as that's such a grounded story, uh, even with the chaos of No Man's Land, I think I like that more at 65. So No, I think this is either 67 or 68. It's just whether it's above or below trust is the question. It's, they're very comparable. They're both two-part stories. They both have a, a character reveal twist to them. Granted, the one for trust is in the middle versus the end. But you know what? Despite me kind of liking the reveal better in trust, Don Kramer is a fine artist, but Bray Fogle is a better artist. And again, uh, I, I'm not here to indulge Paul Dini. Okay, so 67 it is. Our next story is Sisters in Arms. This is Batman Volume 1, numbers 460 to 461. Writers Alan Grant, penciled by Norm Brayfogle, inks by Tim Sale and Steve Mitchell, colors by Adrian Roy, letters by Todd Klein, edited by Denny O'Neill and Kelly Puckett. Cover dates are March to April of 1991. A priceless cat statue and human trafficking ring. These two seemingly disparate things have a connection that will lead not just to a collision with Batman, 
but a wild night for Sarah Essen, Vicki Vale, and Catwoman. We live in a period where Catwoman being around is de rigueur. You, you've had Catwoman ongoings, or at least Gotham City Sirens, where Catwoman was one of the trio of main characters, mostly on since 1993, so nearly 30 years. This was a period where Catwoman didn't appear all that often. This was maybe her fourth or fifth story since year one. She was not a major player. And she had been before the crisis. She was basically a Batman supporting character before the crisis. But afterwards, they took a step back with that character. I mean, you had year one, you had her sister's keeper, you had an arc in Action Comics Weekly, and a couple of other stories. But this was one of the earlier Catwoman appearances post year one. And we're still, again, a couple of years away from that first ongoing, which happened right in the latter third of uh, Nightfall. So it is interesting to take that into consideration when you're thinking about this story, that this is not, you know, a Catwoman as a character who you're seeing all the time. Wild. Little Tom King must have been so angry. (laughs) And this is kind of a capery story in a lot of ways that winds up with a really dark kind of twist to it which is like oh as i mentioned it's human trafficking factors in here which is weird for a story that is a lot of it selena just trying to steal this cat statue vicky vale trying to get pictures of her and sarah trying to you know kind of upstage batman by proving that she can arrest catwoman she doesn't need batman now, let's let's be clear of how the book phrases this human trafficking. White slavery. Yes, that is not good, but that was the phrase, as was the custom at the time. It's like, I first read that. They also used the word, the phrase, the Orient at one point or another, which again, ugh, I don't know if that one was acceptable even in 1992. Still, I I went with this one just because, again, it's a very different story from the other ones that we were doing tonight. Uh, Let's talk about Joe Potato, Matt. Oh, Joe Potato. Yeah, he's... Gotham's most gimmicky private investigator. Good Lord. He's got puns. He's got a rubber potato peeler. He kind of looks like a potato. It's uh, it's a lot going on with this guy. Yeah, he's odd character. He's He had appeared a couple of times before this, and I do not believe he appears very often after. I had kind of forgotten that Joe Potato was in this particular story. And it was like, wow, yeah, I forgot about this guy. I think he, again, appears in an earlier grant brayfogle story and appears in another couple of grant stories later on but that's about it i'd forgotten the potato puns i had forgotten how laden the potato puns were in this character 
I mean, his first line of dialogue that we see in this book is holy French fries. That's his first line. Yeah. Yeah. And he's just sort of there to get Batman involved in the case. He doesn't really, you know, serve much of a purpose in the main story other than he's investigating the human trafficking ring and contacts Batman because he needs some help. And he's here for comic relief. Yeah. In a story that I don't think needs a ton of comic relief, in all fairness. Yeah. Yeah. Again, just weird, weird vibes from this guy. Gets ejected from the Batmobile at one point. Yeah. And there's some really nice panel work there. Some great layouts as Batman, you know, has to grab Joe and keep him from being squashed on the street. Becoming a lump on the sidewalk, one might say. A potato pancake. (laughs) I like yours better. Uh, It's it's what I'm here for. Terrible, terrible wordplay. But most of this story is the, the three female protagonists. It's Sarah, who's only come back to Gotham recently. Vicky, who is Batman's principal love interest at this point. And Selina, a Selina with a new foundling, a character who doesn't appear very much, who gets written out in the first arc of the Catwoman ongoing, Arizona. Oh, that would make sense. Yeah, she's she's just there to have basically to be somebody for Selina to talk to. So Selina isn't talking to herself because Holly at this point was believed dead. She had been killed in the Catwoman serial in the Action Comics weekly anthology, but turned out wasn't really dead because comics, everybody. Uh, nobody's dead forever except for Alfred. Hopefully not. We've, we've, we've heard solicitation rumors. He's, he's coming back. Now, 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 is he coming back in the way that, oh, oh, this was, this was in the past, or is he actually coming back? No, Batman versus Robin, number two. Solicitation copy says Batman and Alfred. So looks like it's Mark Wade who's bringing him back. Uh, that's a flashback story, I'm sure. We'll see. I'm, cr- I'm cranky. <laughs> we'll see. Th- there are some problematic elements in this story, as we've already said. I mean, there's also a line about these guys, the, the traffickers bringing these you know, dancers to a quote-unquote Thai brothel. Not a great look either. But these are all sort of sign of the times lines. They're not obvious. They're not intentionally racist. They're just, this is the way this stuff was talked about in the early 90s when everything was worse. So, you know, at least, you know, the way we dealt with these kind of things were worse. Many things were probably better. The core here is a Catwoman breaking into a museum story, which is a standard Catwoman story. But the guy who has this artifact that she wants to steal, the Karnak cat, is also the guy involved in the human trafficking ring. So the whole thing is he has a buyer who wants to buy Catwoman. The whole thing's a setup, and he winds up also inadvertently drawing in Sarah and Vicky. Good luck kidnapping Catwoman. 
Yeah, that was not the way to go on that one, dude. And the pop psychologist on the television saying that Catwoman wouldn't be able to resist it. And it's like, and she wasn't. Yeah, uh, this story could have been stronger if there had been Catwoman seeing through that a little bit more. Oh, they must want me there really badly. I should just go and see what's going on. Not that, oh, wow, I, I really do want to steal that. In this story and in the next one, by the way, there's scenes in this one where it's Catwoman and in the next story, we'll see Batman and Nightwing crawling through vents. And I've gotten to a point where I can't see characters walk crawling through vents without thinking of, you know, our Capo de Capo at Comics XF, Zach, who every time anyone does that, he points out that that's not the way vents work. Works in HVAC, folks. So, yeah. Ah, uh... So look, we're all cursed with knowledge, right? Zach can't read a comic and invents and, and enjoy it. I can't read a comic with uh, with a court scene and enjoy it. It's just put anything in a theater, and I'm like, that's not how that works. <laughs> the crosses we bear. Any of this works. I feel like we're struggling on this. There wasn't a ton to this story. This was one that I just I remember distinctly because of the the lack of Batman. And how much it was about these other characters. And for all of its other problems, all three of our female leads make a strong showing. None of them need Batman to save them. They take care of themselves. Yeah, and when Batman does show up in this story, he's a distraction. Like whenever Bats and Joe Potato show up, it's just taking away from this main story. It's it's weird to read a Batman book and say that, oh, I wish there had been less Batman in this, or Batman, Batman was intrusive into this story. The best use of Batman is when he's Bruce Wayne in this story, interacting with Vicki Vale and her basically saying, no, I'm not going to not go after Catwoman because you told me to. It's my job. Yeah. And another, there's where Legs shows up because Vicky had been writing the story about the homeless in Identity Crisis, that story we talked about with Tim Drake back many issues ago, the Scarecrow story. And now the story had been published and he comes up to her and tells her she's okay. And you know, maybe your boyfriend can, you know, give me five or 10 bucks to make him feel less guilty. See, see, and look, I tell you, it's, it's straight trading places, Eddie Murphy. The art, especially towards the end when Selena and Vicky and Sarah are fighting Londis's goons, really great. And especially there's a panel where Selena has basically duplicated that technology Batman used in year one to summon the bats. Only now she's got something that summons cats. And he opens a door and he's just buried under a flood of feral street cats. It's, like, it's, ve- it's very easy to summon cats. All you do is you shake the treat box. Also, when it comes to the art, as I said, the first issue of this is inked by Tim Sale. And when you know that, you can definitely see some sale in the finishes, especially in the faces of characters. It's very much shows how a different inker can make a book look different, even just a little bit. Very, very interesting. I did not pick up on that, but that's 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 interesting. I don't, I mean, I don't think there's much more. And I also think we're going to have a lot to say about the final story. Two things and I'll be done. Um, sure. I liked all of the notebooks, 
because they were such a drastically different variety of art. You know, it's like uh, Bray Fogel's like, all right, you know, I can do all of this comic book style. Let me switch it up and do something completely different. And I love that. That distinction, that separateness really shows this off as, as something different. It's something that the character is doing, not that the artist is doing. And uh, it's really, really, really fucking weird to put your priceless uh, jade statue in a litter box. <laughs> yeah, Selena's final moment with her own little Cheshire cat grin and yeah, leaving the precious jade statue that she saw sitting in the litter box is a bit much, but she's also Catwoman, so she has her prerogatives. Look, I, I clean a lot of litter boxes. They're all gross. They're all disgusting. And uh, I'm not putting anything I like in a litter box. I, I, I only have to clean two and I'm right there with you. All right. Uh, we're talking about litter boxes. I think that means we're done here. So it's time to put sisters in arms on the big board. So, I mean, I agree. This one is definitely lower than the previous story. Uh, refresh my memory on 81 Shadow the Bat, The Misfits. That was from a couple of weeks ago. That's Alan Grant and Tim Sale, Chancer, Killer Moth, Calendar Man, and Catman try to kidnap, or they do kidnap Bruce Wayne, Mayor Crawl, and Jim Gordon, and it ends poorly for all of them. Ah, uh, yes, but thanks to Smoker's Knife, he saved. Yep, that one's better. Uh- that is better. And that's at 81. So we're obviously going down, but I really don't think we're going down much farther uh, because you get to 83, you get injustice, 89, more injustice. I, again, just because that art is so damned inconsistent and just terrible in places, I think we have to be above that. And so really, if we're going to say this is better than uh, Injustice, but worse than Misfits, uh, that's a really tight range, 81 to 83. Okay, I think it's 80. I think it's 82. I enjoy the Gotham Villains 80th Anniversary Giant, but I think I would reread Sisters in Arms first. All right. The new 82 it is. And now on to our final story. This is The Last Arkham. This is Batman Shadow of the Bat, numbers one to four. The writer is Alan Grant, art by Norm Brayfogle, colors by Adrian Roy, letters by Todd Klein, and edited by Denny O'Neill and Scott Peterson. Cover dates are June to September of 1992. Jeremiah Arkham, nephew of the founder of the infamous Arkham Asylum, has taken over the institution and is seeking to modernize it both physically and in terms of its treatments. But he has run into some stumbling blocks. One is the vicious serial killer, Mr. Zaz, who is playing his own game. And the other, the asylum's newest resident, Batman. I love this story. It's a good one. This is one of those stories that has stuck with me over the years. And this is why... I don't think Zaz has ever been more interestingly written than he was in this first appearance. And I don't think Jeremiah Arkham was ever as interestingly written as he was in this first appearance. Because Arkham Arkham is a victim of Flanders' flanders-ization. 
he becomes sort of a joke over the years as this sort of put upon asylum administrator where here there's all sorts of stuff going on with him and he's a much more sinister figure yeah he's he's quite a bit sadistic he's he's the type that would have and we i guess we see this and um serious house on serious earth did i screw that up nope you got it right two serious is, is yep that's where we saw uh harvey dent with his uh, what infinite uh numbers of of choices and whatnot that treatment in uh in in sarcastic quotes is perfectly consistent with the arkham we see here yeah he is a strict behaviorist you see him reading bf skinner the father of behavioral psychology he says repeatedly that the mind doesn't matter which is a strange thing to hear from a psychologist or psychiatrist the beha- in this case. change the behavior and the mind will follow yeah so he is treating these patients wholly at best violently at worst i would have been very curious to see this arkham's treatment of joker we never see joker in treatment here it would have been something without humor, something gray and boring. And he would have had a buzzer attached to him uh, whenever he laughed. Ooh. Oh, a little Alex Delarge, little uh, aversion therapy. Yeah, he would have gotten a zots whenever he laughed. Ooh, I, I like that. And I think it would have been Joker in a room painting stills <laughs> there's also a somewhat supernatural or powered thing with arkham that we never really are sure if it's is something preternatural or if it's just him thinking he's great with his ability to look into the eyes of someone and see their madness I mean, we see it work on the one guy in his sort of origin story who escaped from the asylum, but we never see it work on anybody else. And it sure as shooting doesn't work on Zaz. Zaz is great in this story because you don't get everything about it. You know, I, I complained earlier about not having Anarchy's backstory, but Zaz is so menacing here. And I love the line about, you know, well, of course we're going to put you in this cage of, you know what happened to your last orderly and we don't know like the mind can imagine so many things that zaz would have done to him i think there's one line at some point like you know like he'll never walk again that's all you get like you don't know what and Zaz's like you could have let me kill him i love that the first issue all you see of zaz is his mouth you don't see the reveal of the the hash mark body until halfway into issue two it really knowing that that you'd gotten just this idea that he was this guy that was so scary they have to keep him immobilized all day is a great way to build the menace without him ever actually having to do anything violent uh did you read this in uh trade i read it i mean this time i read it digitally in singles in off of infinite I mean, I've read the original ah. issues when they came out. So I got the digital trade. Um, 
because it was like eight bucks for 12 issues. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I'll do that. Grant has a letter in this where he explains, no, I didn't take Zaz from Silence of the Lambs. I never saw it. I never read it. I didn't theft. No, but I mean, that's an archetype. That that you know the 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 prisoner playing the warden is something that has been in pop culture forever. I mean, he's not Lecter. He's he's not you know working with anybody. This is all Zaz's plan to get out of Arkham for good and to cause as much chaos along the way as he can. And as is the rule, whenever we bring up Lecter or Silence of the Lambs, we have to point out Manhunter is better. Absolutely. Is there a criterion of Manhunter? There should be. There should be. I do have uh I do have a Blu-ray that is uh is the extra special extended cut, but uh no criterion yet and no uh no shout factory collection yet. That that seems like they might uh pick that up at some point. Yeah, definitely. I would I'd love to get a nice nice edition of Manhunter. Wow. The collector edition Blu-ray is now 150 on Amazon. It's like not available. It's out of print now. Yeah. What? Man, I I got it when the getting was good. Yeah. Big, big props to Shop Factory for being the the poor man's criterion. (laughs) Taking taking care of our schlock like uh, Robocop and Event Horizon. But I think we've kind of buried the lead on this one because in my little introduction, I didn't point out Batman's in Arkham in this story. Aha, but is an Arkham on purpose. Yes. Yeah, you that is not a reveal that's held back very long. Like you get through the second issue, and by the beginning of the third, it's like, yeah, I, I'm in here. Jim and I planned this so I can figure out how Zaz is getting out of Arkham because he's clearly responsible for a series of Zaz-like murders, despite him being in Arkham. Again, they never they dropped that after this appearance but the fact that zaz would kill his victims and aside from scoring himself would leave them like propped up in lifelike positions every time creepy and his old west undertaker outfit it seems like every artist took that one the one appearance in nightfall where he is just in his boxers so you can see the scars everywhere and was like well that's how he's supposed to look it's like I kind of like the the old time Undertaker look. I do like, you know, they 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 pay off the the mystery as you said pretty soon, but not until, or at least not after. Uh, wait, I fucked up the phrasing on that. Anyway, before that happens, there we go. Uh, we get that great splash of Batman pulling against his chains in the asylum. I am not insane. Oh, it's so perfect. What what a great splash page so much great art okay here's the thing that i referenced earlier so at the end of part three batman's fighting amygdala and this is amygdala's first appearance as well and there's a two-page spread of batman fighting amygdala the motion on those panels and everything it's a great looking two-page spread right Uh uh-huh yeah that was misprinted in the comic the original comic it was not put on facing pages. It was put on back-to-back pages. Oh, no. Oh, yes. It, you could only read it as it was originally intended when the trade came out because it was misprinted in the original book. 
Oh, that's that's so sad because it's a great it's a great spread, isn't it? Also, fun fact: Shadow of the Bat number one was released in a collector's edition, bagged with a paper standee that gave you the facade of Arkham with Batman in front of it and the villains in the background, posters of the first two covers, a bookmark, and a set of Arkham Asylum blueprints. That is going all out. Yeah, I have all that stuff somewhere in my box of miscellaneous random stuff I've gotten out of comics and promotional items over the years. Someday I will dig it out. But it it was a really cool thing. And again, it's maybe part of why this story stuck with me. Because that was right there. You know, you're you're selling that to a 12-year-old nerd. It's like, yeah, that's cool. Also, in, uh, in Grant's forward to this trade, you know, when again says he doesn't that uh, he didn't steal from silence and lambs he lays out like perfectly like what this book was going to be yeah he's like okay uh batman is our main title detective is what he does on like his off nights legends of the dark knight it's kind of stories that happened in the past and so what is this going to be how is this going to be different well we're going to have a spotlight on different villains and we start out with Arkham Asylum as a villain. Yeah, and then the next issue is a Black Spider one-off. Then the Misfits, which absolutely fits. Then I think there's a cadaver story. And then the Nobody. And then the next arc is a No Man's Land, not No Man's Land, Warner, a Nightfall tangent that's Scarecrow and Anarchy. It, it's after scarecrows team up with the joker it's not like an essential part of nightfall it's not numbered but it's it's got the banner so that will be read as its own arc for the the big board Mm, but still scarecrow and anarchy together sounds uh sounds like a bad deal i I believe they're they're not working together there's a lot of uh (laughs) a lot of pontificating i believe that it's right after or shortly uh it's it, there's a couple of arcs in between but the, that's definitely right on the heels of this i do like the mystery of zaz how he's getting out of arkham and how well the whole thing is laid out you get the hints in the first issue and it all pays out over the course of the series yeah and you see zaz yeah they they uh... You know, Batman says, I want to, I want to check him. I want to look for him. Yeah. He, he make he marks his body. I want to see if there are any fresh marks. Uh, and then as the reader, you get the payoff. Oh yeah. There are three fresh marks. It's, it's almost like a Columbo. Like, you know, that he did it. It's just figuring out how he did it. And throughout you're getting Arkham slipping and listening to Zaz more and more because Batman won't break. And you're also seeing Batman and Zaz playing off each other because you know Zaz is getting out. You don't know how. You see how Batman is getting out of his cell, but he has to keep getting caught and going back in because he can't get out yet until he figures out what Zaz has done. There's some great Dick Grayson and Tim Drake in here. Mostly Dick, but there's a great scene between Dick and Tim. We now read Dick and Tim and they're absolutely the best of brothers dick is tim's big brother and that's the way it is here 
they don't really know each other yet. And so Dick's, you know, talking to Tim, they're like, you know, you're a good kid, Tim. It's like, really? That's kind of stiff for the way, like, oh, but right, they don't know each other that well yet. They've only met when Tim showed up on Dick's door and was like, hey, Batman's losing it. I need you to go back and be Robin again to stop him from losing it. And Dick being like, who the hell are you, kid? And what what, what are you talking about? I'm not Nightwing. No, no, I'm not. And this was also the period where Dick and Bruce weren't getting along that well. So Dick showing up again shows how big a deal this is. Dick wasn't a regular member of the cast until Night's End, the end of the Night trilogy, when he sort of started stepping away from the Titans and out on his own and became a regular member of the Bat cast again. So when Dick would show up in a Bat book, it was a big deal. Again, it's funny to think of a period where Dick wasn't a regular Batman character. But throughout most of the 80s, Dick rarely appeared in the Bat titles, and he was almost exclusively in the new Teen Titans. I also like the builder and how Zaz deals with the guy who built his escape tunnel and the little narration there about how he hates guns. They're sloppy and imprecise and they smell, prefers the blade. It's funny that you get, you know, him again played against Batman, who hates guns for his own reasons. Gun just ain't personal, Matt. Okay, here's a, a f- fun thing. So Zaz, when he's fighting Batman at the end, says, you know, I being trapped like that all day lets you, you know, you have nothing better to do than to do isometrics. Do you know the first place I heard about isometric exercises? Oh, what would that be? Dragnet. <laughs> uh, Bill Gannon. Yes, there's an episode of the TV show where he is telling Joe Friday about you know these new things, isometric exercises. They're great. So, so dear dear listeners, those of you who haven't had the joy of the 1960s dragnet in your heart, Joe Friday, Jack Webb is you know straight laces character, super serious. Every single episode of Dragnet has a two-minute bit where Harry Morgan's Bill Gannon just does a comedy bit. Like, it's just it's just off the wall, just random. Like, in the first or second season, there is this series of, uh, of bits over different episodes where he's like, I'm thinking about raising pigeons. Uh, I, got a, I, got a, I got a cousin or I got a, a brother who thinks it's a great idea, but it's a lot of trouble. And gee, I don't know, Joe, what do you think? And Joe's like, all right, shut up. We got to do a case now. There's this, uh, there's this one episode when I do moral panics that I show my class on, uh, on marijuana and, uh, and how if you smoke pot, your baby's going to die. Sorry, spoiler alert. In that episode, Bill goes on this extended bit about how he makes barbecue sauce with ice cream. It's like a five-minute discussion about making barbecue sauce. It's the only reason the character exists for doing these little bits. And God, what a joy. And, and yes, believe me, we both know Dragnet is the copaganda-iest bit of copaganda to ever cop. I also want the end of this story. When you get to the very end, and after Batman has had a knockdown, dragout fight with Zaz in the sewers, which looks so great, he brings him back up and Arkham is waiting with Jim Gordon and 
Arkham has this moment, you know, I can see, you know, see the madness and Bruce holds, you know, like look into his eyes and see, or, or maybe you need to look in the mirror. I think that's earlier, but nonetheless, it's a great moment when he zazz with the crazy eyes looking at Arkham. And in the end, the final page is Arkham starting his own journal because he burned the journals of Amadeus Arkham earlier. And now he's there starting his own journal and the statement about him being afraid to look in the mirror himself anymore. It's a great start to a slippery slope of Jeremiah's own insanity. And Grant continues to play him pretty straight throughout his run. He wrote Mad Men Across the Water, which while a comedic story, there we see a Jeremiah who sort of learned his lesson somewhat here, and he's treating the inmates much more humanely than he did in this story. Jeremiah Arkham changed after that night. I love the narration in this book. This is one of my favorite Batman stories. Yeah, we won't even say Disney best, but one of definitely my favorites. I just love everything it does. There's just some stretches in here where Bray Fogle's just fucking showing off. Like uh, when he when he's doing Arkham's Dreams, and, and once again, it's a totally different artistic style. Like that's just so brilliant. I it's it's one of those bits that just make me jealous to see somebody so creative and so talented just just showing off, just showing what they can do. The big dog pile on Batman of all of the inmates. It could be a completely impenetrable few pages, but you can follow it because Brayfogle lays it out and draws it so well. Again makes me mad when I see shitty, inferior, big two art when you've had so many good people come through these titles. So many master uh, craftsmen come through. It just irks me. Like, Like these companies have no shame. If it's about putting a book out and getting it, who cares? Who cares? And I'm like, I care. I want this stuff to be good. I want it to look great. Because so many people have done such good work in these titles. I have two more notes, both of which are from issue two. One, the scene with the little girl in the cemetery who's run out of her house because of her abusive dad who Zaz kills the rest of the family. That's heartbreaking. Grant does such a good job there and Brayfogle with the art of this little girl who's scolding her doll and clearly the way her asshole father scolded her and her being afraid of Batman, afraid of Batman's touch because she's got bruises on her face, afraid of her father about going home and Batman, the rage building in Batman. I'll explain to your dad. I think he'll listen to me. Yeah. Again, letterers, you don't have to go fucking crazy with it. Just a little bit of bolding does a lot. My one other note, also in that issue, when they're going to see Zaz, when Jeremiah Arkham is leading Jim Gordon and Batman to see Zaz, the guard at the door of the secure wing calls him Mr. Arkham, not Dr. Arkham. Jeremiah Arkham does not strike me as the kind of guy who would let someone get away with calling him Mr. instead of Doctor. So perhaps he's not a doctor. I would wonder. 
but he just I mean, he's addressed as Dr. Arkham in other stories. But boy, howdy, he is the kind of guy who would smack you down verbally. And if you were a subordinate, fire your ass for not calling him doctor because he's ah. so full of himself. And of course, that just reminds me of the Dragnet episode featuring Mr. Dan, uh, Daniel Loomis. I got tired in the Navy of everybody shitting on me. So now everybody calls me Mr. So you got anything else? Um, I don't think I've got anything else. So that means you give me one second. That means it's time to put the last dark on the big board. I'm looking fairly high up on this one. Uh, let's start at 39 and we can keep going. Uh, I would say I think it's better than Vengeance of Bane at 39. Yes. Introduces more than one important character. Vengeance of Bane introduces Bane and it introduces his sidekicks but they are both not as important nor are they as well fleshed out as either jeremiah arkham or zaz okay so the next thing comparably to look at here is demon's quest up at 34 that's the first appearance of rachel ghoul a more important character than either jeremiah arkham or zaz but that story is much more all over the place that's, you know, got all those weird little chapters in the middle that are just like, here's a fun little one-off of Rachel Ghoul with a brain in a jar. Sometimes you just need a brain in a jar, Matt. And this, this art's better. Yes. Yes. The, I mean, you know, people might say blasphemy. I mean, Neil Adams, brilliant artist, but there's a bunch of chapters in there that aren't Neil Adams. And I, I love Brayfogle's layouts. The next story is another Grant and Brayfogle. Uh, identity crisis when tim drake gets his own batman costume i like this one more yep all right so are we breaking out of the top 30 at number 30 is no law and a new order the first arc of no man's land that's a pretty strong story that is and then we got blink at 29 man our top 30 is just mean yeah Exactly. Like this is right on the edge of that. This is yep. This is either at the low end of the top 30 or right above or right right below. Like, I mean, we did Gollum of Gotham a few weeks ago. And while that has more of an emotional, like the whole thing with the Jewish mystic and all this, this is such a cool story the last arkham it does so much in it it does there's so much batman so much mythos to it i think it it's gonna be golem of gotham by by a scooch yeah i think that's its spot i think it's 31 works for me and that now makes our top 31 very difficult to to breakthrough uh, even 35 you know demon quest is now 35 that's yeah i mean you gotta go you gotta go hard to get above 35 now 
even 36 that's again that specter story from that same episode that's a, a baller i think i mean actually you know with with vengeance of bane now the now at 40 i think we might have a, a top 40 that you gotta really work to crack into we didn't sign up for this thing it was gonna be easy matt nope but next week next week we might have some strong competition because next week's a big one this is episode 50 so big number we're talking anniversary issues and more importantly it will be our first ever face-to-face bat chat recording gonna be exciting everybody can't wait that chat wags spectacular can't wait for you all to hear it we would like to thank our patreon backers who have helped us get this far dan grove june conduit of outdated joke names june come on joshua wheel mrs abigail hartbaum as I'm a fangirl, Tony Thornley, Sam Hopper, Christian Smith, and John Wickham for their support. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Batchat Comics, and the show is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon Music slash Audible, and at ComicsXF.com, where new episodes drop every Thursday. You can support the show on Patreon, where you can get shoutouts, bonus content, pick a story, and even come on the show. If you want to hear more of my ramblings, mostly about the three C's, comics, cinema, and cats, you can follow me on Twitter at MattLess1013. And I'm at Will Nevin. I'm also out of here. Good night, Huntsville. And be sure to visit ComicsXF at ComicsXF.com or at ComicsXF on Twitter for our weekly Friday Bat Chat roundup of new Bat Books. For my other show, WMQ&A, where my longtime best friend Dan Grote and I interview comics creators, retailers, publishers, journalists, and other related tradespeople as well as all the other stuff Will and I are writing. And stay safe out there, folks. Gotham is not a place to be after dark.